verses 15 through 22. We stand out of respect for the words and works of Christ while he was here on earth. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the gospel of our Savior. You may be seated. We don't talk politics in church. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why I spent time this week crafting not just the sermon, but the phrases and the words of the sermon so as not to, to step on a big, fat landmine because I know... I know they are scattered throughout this conversation. But it's necessary. Not, not because I'm saying that it's necessary, but because of what God has written in his word in several parts of scriptures, it is necessary because God has something to say about this. And so let's listen. We see it set up right out of the gates. We see, we see this trap and this trap is more intricate than the other traps that the Pharisees had tried to set. This trap was foolproof. They weren't going to be Charlie Brown missing the football on this one again. They were going to get Jesus this time. It was the Pharisees who were the religious hardliners, the ones that hated everything that had to do with Rome. But they made sure to bring along the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? They are Jewish people that are are dedicated to Herod Antipas, who is a leader of the region and who sort of plays the middleman for them between the Jews and the Roman government. And so these Herodians are, are really, really, uh, really intent on making sure that, that King Herod keeps his place on the throne so they'll do just about anything to keep him there. Especially because his job is tough. He had to deal with the Jewish people that were always so frustrated and angry at those Roman oppressors. And then on the other hand, he had to deal with the people back in Rome who were always keeping their ear to the ground, always looking very intently at the Jewish people, watching for just the smallest sign of an uprising so that they could swiftly come in and quash it if they were ever faced with that. And that's the trap. These two unlikely companions, the Pharisees and the Herodians, come together in order to trap Jesus. And like any other political conversation of that day and, and maybe yesterday, they are trying to get Jesus to stick his hand in the hornet's nest. They say to him, Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? First off, let's understand what this imperial tax is. This is a head tax. This was not a property tax. It was not a sales tax. It was not an income tax. 
It was not a, it was not a tax on trade. This was a tax that they faced just because of who they were. The Roman government would come in and they would conquer peoples and then they would give this tax to them and they would say, you owe us money for being alive in our little world. And it was their way of sort of keeping them under their thumb for the entirety of their life, year in and year out. It is one of the most despised tactics, one of the most despised taxes in the life of the Jewish person because it is that constant reminder that the Roman government is over the top of us watching. It was frustrating. It was upsetting. And if Jesus looks at them and says, you need to pay your taxes, and he seems just a little bit too nice and a little bit too lenient to the oppressors from Rome, well, then he's going to have an uprising from his Jewish followers on his hand. But if he looks at the people and he says, don't you give those pagan Romans one dime, then you know the Herodians are going to go back to King Herod. And they're going to say, hey, look, you got a big problem with this guy. Perhaps he needs to be done away with. They think they've got him. And then Jesus says, hey, bring me a coin. And the coin just sort of almost makes matters worse for the Jewish people because Jesus holds it up. And on the front of it, there is the face of Caesar Tiberius, the Caesar at that time who was ruler over the entire Roman world. And on it, it was his face. And you can imagine with the Jews who who think back to the Torah and hear, don't make graven images unto yourself. They think to themselves, this is idolatry. And what makes matters worse is they look at the inscription around the little face and it says, Tiberius, son of God, Augustus. Yes, he was confessing to be the divine Caesar as all of the Caesars did. They would say, I am God himself. And then what made matters even worse was you flipped over to the backside of the coin and it said, Pontiff Maxim, which is essentially saying that Caesar is the chief priest of the pagan Roman religion. So as the the Jews look at this coin, they go, this stands for everything we're against. And then we're expected to give this coin back to Caesar, and we know what he's going to do with it. We know he's going to use it to oppress people. We know he might even use it to kill believers. And we know it's going to be used to, to build godless temples. Why on earth? Why on earth would we ever give it back? But then Jesus swoops in. And he says, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's sort of a pithy little phrase because it's almost meaningless unless you define two things. First, what is Caesar's? And second, what is God's? Let's look at Romans, that that second reading that we had for today to, to understand that just a little bit better. Paul writes, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. It is safe to say that Paul is talking about and Jesus is talking about not just Caesar himself, but all authorities. And we're talking about from from president down to police officer. He's saying, take a close look at what you owe them. And on top of it, he says, you don't owe them anything because they're good at their job. 
You don't owe them anything because you voted for them. You don't even owe them anything because they are beneficial to the community that they serve. In fact, in fact, we learn from Romans why exactly it is that we would, we would give them honor, why we would give them taxes, even if they're doing something with which we disagree. Established by God. Romans 13, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And I know what you're thinking, but pastor, throughout thousands of years, it seems like every single government is in some way, shape, or form vastly corrupt. How am I supposed to give things to them? Taxes, honor, respect, or otherwise. I'm going to ask you to think about a world that doesn't exist. Think about a world in which God does not set up authority. In which God does not set up government. In which God says, you know what, no one is in charge of anyone and you are all free to do as you please, however you please. Could you imagine what that world would look like? You see countries over in Africa that, that all of a sudden the government is deposed and it is chaos, it is anarchy, it is, it is terrifying for everyone that lives inside of that country. Could you imagine if that is the world in which we lived, if God did not grace this world by saying, you know what, they're not going to be perfect. Sometimes they might not even be good. But I am going to give some type of authority to you. Why? For safety. For order. And yes, even for preservation of the church. Yes, the world in which, in which none of those things exist is, is a truly, truly terrifying world. And I know what you're thinking. But pastor, it just doesn't feel right. You say it's important to pay taxes, but what if... What if my taxes are, are in some way, shape, or form used to, to end lives in, in the womb? Or you say, Pastor, I know it's, I, I really don't even care about paying taxes. That's, that's totally fine. I'll, I'll do that. But I, I hate the fact that it weighs on my conscience that maybe the money I'm giving is, is going towards another war machine in a war that I disagree with. Pastor, I just, I can't do it. I don't want to give respect or honor or, or taxes to, to people that don't seem like they deserve it. Please know this, dear brothers and sisters. When God set up the authorities in this world, he did so with a purpose. And he did so telling them that they would be held accountable. To everyone who takes on a role of authority, they are owed extra account to God. And so we can boldly and proudly say that from the president to the police officer and everyone in between, they are not just responsible to a taxpayer. They're not just responsible to a DOJ. Ultimately, the, the person they are responsible to first and foremost is God himself. And with that thought in mind, God says, just do your job. 
they've got a job that's hard enough. They have a, a miserable job. Just do your job and give to them what is owed. And yes, that does mean that, that if they call on us to do something that is intrinsically wrong or sinful, then yes, we have to say, I must obey God rather than man. But up until that point, we allow them to be held accountable, not just by us, but by the Lord of army who currently sits on the throne of the world right now. Martin Luther talks about two kingdoms. He says there are two kingdoms that the Christian belongs to. You belong to the, the kingdom of the government, of the state, and you belong to the kingdom of the church. And, and essentially what you're hearing probably right now is the separation of church and state, right? It's, it's sort of like that. But what Martin Luther was essentially saying is because you are, are, are a part of both of these kingdoms, you owe something to each of them. You owe something to your God, to your Savior, and you owe something to your government because God has established both of them. But please understand, they are meant for two very, very different things. That kingdom of the government is meant to establish order in this world. And the kingdom of the church is, is there for the sole purpose of proclaiming the gospel to the lost. And God says those two things are not going to necessarily and should not meet. Because they were established for two very different purposes. There's sort of two ways that we can mess this one up, isn't there? Two ways we can, we can fall into sin when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's. The first way is, is probably the most obvious one. Not giving to Caesar, not giving to the authorities what, what we owe to them. And this one I think in 2023 we're all probably guilty of to some degree where our disagreements are completely justified and, and sanctified disagreement with a, a political stance turns into something more than a disagreement. Turns into our life. Turns into the thing that we wear on our sleeve day in, day out. Turns into the thing that, that dominates our conversation. And, and that, that disagreement with that political leader turns into distaste for that political leader. And distaste for that political leader leads to outright hatred unabashed hatred of that political leader. And God says, yeah, that's, that's sin. But I think there's another, another way that we go off the rails here, maybe one that's more subtle, and that is giving to Caesar what is God's. We are headed into another election cycle. I know it because my, my uh, evening jeopardy is now being interrupted by political commercials. Uh, you can be very aware of, uh, of that when you're watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune every night. You are going to hear promises. Promises of salvation. Promises of refuge. Calls to trust me. I am going to save democracy. I am going to save the planet. I am going to save the country. You are going to hear all of these, these glitzy, glamorous promises if you just put your undivided, complete, and utter trust in me. Dear brothers and sisters, don't give to a man, don't give to a woman what belongs to God himself. We have one Savior we have one refuge, one strength, one help in times of trouble, one fortress that will not be moved, one Savior who gave his blood for us. Please, please, 
do not give to a man what belongs to God himself. Maybe you're still shifting in your seat. And maybe you're still thinking, I don't know, pastor. Still feels like the world's a pretty bad place. Still seems like governments can be pretty corrupt. Take a history journey with me. God causes his people, Israel, to go into Egypt. And while they are in Egypt, they are oppressed. They are beaten down. They are put into slavery. They are subjected by their slave masters in Egypt. And what does God do for his people there? They blow up. They flourish beyond all reasonability. They, they become this huge and great nation even in the face of oppression. And then when God and God himself believes it is time to go, he and he alone is the one that delivers them out of Egypt. It looked as if God had lost control of the situation, but certainly, certainly he hadn't. Flash forward. And we see God trying to teach the, the northern ten tribes of Israel who had fallen away from him, who had rejected him and rebelled against him. And God says, I am going to teach you a lesson. And he, he causes the Assyrian government, the Assyrian nation, who are some of the most despicable, vile, disgusting people to have ever walked planet Earth. He causes that nation to do his bidding and carry off his people into captivity. Flash forward a little bit further and he sends the Babylonians to, to wipe out the Assyrians. And sure enough, the Babylonians come and, and take off those, those, two, those two tribes of Judah that still belong to God. And God does that for a specific purpose, to teach them a lesson. And, and they're carried off into exile by the hand of God. And then while they're in exile, that's, that's where we hear from Daniel, who is, is thriving in exile because God is still with his people. And then when God determines the time is right, he sends the Persians in to wipe out the Babylonians because he had had enough of the Babylonians and was done using them. And he uses the Persians to take his people and send them back to their homeland. Fast forward even further, there is this wicked, wretched man that goes by the name of Saul. And he is out there killing Christians. He is pulling them by the hair and dragging them out of their houses and sending them off to prison this wicked, wretched man named Saul. And in the face of all of that, the entire church is forced to scatter. And what does God do? He uses that to spread his gospel across the region. And to put a little cherry on top, he turns Saul into Paul and makes this murderous villain a hero of faith. And yes, this, this debacle that Jesus finds himself in as he's pitted between the Romans and the Pharisees. And we know exactly how this story ends. We know that it ends with Jesus on a cross. God used even those two corrupt authorities to accomplish his will in this world, to make sure that you and I didn't have to just look at this world and think, well, this is all it is, but instead could draw our eyes up to heaven and see the day when we will see our Savior face to face. He's working, dear brothers and sisters. And so when you're uncomfortable with the way of the world, when it seems like in five years or the last five years the wrong political party's in power, when it seems like terrorists are going unfettered, when it seems like nations are about to war against nations, might I suggest one thing? Be still and know that I am God. That your God rules over the nations 
that there is nothing that happens in this world without his watchful eye over the top of it. And on top of all of this, you have a God who has promised to rule this world for the good of his church, for your good. So maybe the next time you, uh, you get into one of those disagreements, those friendly disagreements that, that seem to happen mm, once a week, maybe once a day, maybe once an hour. Might I suggest using it as an evangelism opportunity? They might shake their head and they might say, I have no reason to smile. This world has gotten worse and it's not going to get any better and I don't know how anybody could have hope right now. You get to say, nuh-uh. I got hope. Because I can see this world in the grand scheme of eternity and I know that it's just a blip on the radar. I know that the goings on of this world are not completely out of control. I know that God is not asleep at the wheel, but I, I know that sin has been defeated. I know that my Savior is coming back for me to rescue me from this fallen world. And someday he is going to come back and he is going to call an end to all of the corruption and sadness and fear. So you know what? I can smile. Because my Lord rules all things for the church. And your friend might say, you know what? That's all well and good for the church. But I'm a little concerned about the world. You could say, relax. God owns that one too.